When my wife and I lived in Huntington, West Virginia, like any place we moved, we were looking at churches, right? So I remember one church we went to. This is kind of funny. So the reason we went to this church is because we were at a store and a lady came up to us and gave us $20. She gave us the $20 if we would attend her church. And, you know, she didn't phrase it like that. She was like, I'm going to give you this $20 and I go to this church and I know that, you know, you'll come and check out our church because we're a great church and I'm, I'm like making an investment in you. I, I don't remember exactly how she phrased it, but she gave us this $20 to go to her church. So on a Sunday evening, we went to her church and it was, it was just bizarre from the beginning. Of course, we, we were paid $20 to come visit this church. First of all, we go to the church. It's very empty. Like there's like 10 people there. But there's like these three large professional mounted cameras like you would see on a television show in in the room. And the pastor's up there. There's a huge choir. It's, I would say, semi-Pentecostal in, in nature. But like there's nobody in the church. But the, the pastor and on stage and the presentation is like, it's like he's preaching to a crowd of a thousand people. And, you know, it was kind of a stereotypical televangelist-style pastor in church. But it was so weird to me that there was this huge show on stage and nobody was really watching in the audience. And this pastor preached the sermon. There was the music. There was the, you know, the worship. And everything was this big production it looked like it had a lot of money behind it, but there was nobody really in the audience. Of course, he was tele- it was televised, so... Um, but... And this guy, you know, at the, at the, after the service, he walks up to us, introduces himself, and introduces his wife, who happens to be half his age. You know, it was just like everything about it was... This guy was like the stereotypical televangelist celebrity pastor type... And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Uh, Hey guys, this is the Construction Monk Podcast. I am your host, Jay Randall Ori, and welcome. (laughs) Thanks for joining me again. Today I want to talk about the shepherd and the gatekeepers. Like I've, uh, uh, last podcast, I was jiving from and riffing from John chapter 8. And this week, I want to kind of come from John chapter 10. No offense to John chapter 9. <laughs> it was a really good chapter too. But I've been reading over and over John chapter 10 and it, the whole, almost the whole chapter is Jesus using this metaphor of himself as a shepherd and as a sheep. So there are three kinds of people that, that Jesus talks about in this metaphor of shepherd and sheep. But before that, I got to tell you this joke. Have you ever heard this? There are three kinds of people in the world. Those who can count and those who can't. <laughs> get it? There's three kinds of... Okay, you, you get it. But there really are three kinds of people in this, in this parable that Jesus tells in John chapter 10. There is the shepherd, 
which is himself. There are the gatekeepers, which he also calls the hired hands. And there are the thieves. And there are the sheep. (laughs) Darn it. I can't count. Oh, my goodness. What I mean is there are three kinds of people that interact with the sheep. Darn it. There's actually four people in this parable. Four kinds of people. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was that my mathematics joke was very prophetic. Did you notice that? <laughs> I can't count. No. There are four four kinds of people in the parable, but there are three kinds of people coming to the sheep. Right? We're the sheep. And there are three kinds of people interacting with the sheep. There's the shepherd. Jesus calls himself the shepherd. And he also calls himself the gate. Then he calls another type of person the hired hand and the gatekeeper. And then there's a third person that he labels the thief or robbers. And so all these three people are coming to the sheep for different reasons. And so the whole parable talks about Jesus and how he comes to the sheep and his relationship with the sheep versus the gatekeeper's who are also the hired hands versus the thieves. So let's jump over there. Give me a minute to get there. So I am not out on the trails this morning. Wonder of wonders. (laughs) Um, My wife and I, we had to move out of our house. And because we're having the floors refinished. So... Uh, we're staying, a friend of ours is a realtor and he, he's a realtor and a house flipper and he has a couple of houses. So we're staying at one of his houses and I'm out just a little, not far from where I live, but I'm not out of the woods. So you can probably hear some of the birds, but there's also a road, not that close, but you might hear that in the background too. So, all right, this is John chapter 10, starting with verse one. And this is Jesus talking. He's telling a parable to a group of people. Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good. A sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't, they won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. So he tells that story. And that now he, he, he tells it again. But this is the first little parable he tells. And it's interesting that he starts the whole story with that first pers- the first kind of person who is, uh, he calls him a sheep rustler or thief. So this is the metaphor that Jesus loved to use metaphors, stories, but he also loved to use nature stories or pastoral stories, you know, uh, animal stories, you know, nature, stories from nature. So this is the image, right? So in ancient times, I'm not an expert on ancient sheep herding, by the way, but, you know, I've just been taught about this. So in ancient times, shepherds, were roving um, people like they would they would roam the countryside all over you know leading the sheep around and it was open right open huge wide open spaces 
wild. Like not a lot of people around, just the shepherd and the sheep. So I think it's pretty cool as we get down further. He's talking about the relationship of the shepherd and the sheep. And he's talking about the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And so they follow the shepherd. Well, that's what, that's what he's, that's the image he's putting forth is you've got all these sheep and there's, there's nothing keeping them from really running off if they wanted to, although I don't know how fast sheep are. But you got one shepherd and maybe, a hundred, let's just imagine, a hundred sheep, since Jesus tells the parable of, of, of 99 sheep, then which becomes a hundred. We'll just say a hundred sheep. Um, so imagine there's a shepherd and there's a hundred sheep. Like That shepherd can't force that hundred sheep to stay with him, right? It's the shepherd's job to lead and protect the sheep. The best way the shepherd does that is to train the sheep to follow his voice, to know him personally. It's not just a trick of a voice. Like it wouldn't work if, the, if you had a recording of the voice necessarily. The sheep know the shepherd. There's a personal relationship. And so I did jumped ahead there to the shepherd character. But, um, but so you have this scenario where a shepherd's leading sheep around in pasture lands. But at nighttime, often... What the shepherd would do was build a pen out of rocks. So it would build, a, imagine it's just a circle. <clears throat> Could be a square, but usually I think it was a circle. So a shepherd would take stones, kind of build a circle, and the sheep would be inside the circle, and there would be an opening, one opening in the pen, the stone enclosure, and the shepherd would sleep in the opening. So, like, people would have understood this in Jesus' time. Jesus didn't need to first explain the workings of a shepherd and sheep and, how, and all of that. So he starts out talking about a person that's climbing over the fence of the sheep pen. See, now, we, we would, in modern day, we would automatically think sheep are always in a fence, in some kind of pen, some kind of enclosure, because that's how we are. Typically, that's how our our agriculture works. We, any kind of livestock that you would own would be fenced in. It may be a large enclosure, very large, but sheep wouldn't be roaming and wouldn't be able to really get loose if they went to the far extremes of that enclosure, but not in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, shepherds roamed. But here, he's starting with the idea that this is evening time and the sheep are in that rock enclosure. And so you have the rock enclosure, you have shepherd at the gate sleeping or sitting probably sleeping and then you have someone trying to come in and they're not going to come in through the gate because there's a person there they're going to try to come in furthest from the shepherd sneak in grab a sheep and get out right so that first person jesus talks about is someone trying to sneak in and steal sheep the second person he talks about then is the gatekeeper now, the gatekeeper would be, uh, in the next parable, Jesus calls this person a hired hand. So let's just say, you know, a shepherd can't be with a sheep all the time. So a shepherd who owns the sheep, you know, but the sheep belong to the shepherd, but the shepherd hires somebody because sometimes the shepherd has to go do other things, right? The shepherd's not always there. Or, you know, maybe the shepherd's got to go find a lost sheep or something. So there are other people working with the shepherd. These people are working in concert with the shepherd. So there might be a person also there guarding the sheep, watching over the sheep in place of the shepherd, you know, while the shepherd 
leaves to do other things, or maybe the shepherd's going to search out other pastures where he wants to take the sheep next, right? So he puts someone in charge, someone that he trusts, someone that represents the shepherd, but is not the shepherd, and that's the gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper, this is interesting, the gatekeeper is not, the sh- not, a sh- not one of the sheep, but the gatekeeper also recognizes or, or acknowledges the shepherd. The gatekeeper knows the shepherd too. And the gatekeeper knows the shepherd from the thieves. So you have the sheep rustler, you have the gatekeeper in the story, and you have the shepherd. And it says, it ends with that section where it says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. So this is the metaphor Jesus puts forth. Now, the sheep... Uh, well, and and this gets flushed out further further on in the in the second parable Jesus tells but the sheep and the pen represent a congregation so imagine you know like a stone enclosure imagine a stone building right an enclosure and there are the congregants are like sheep like you you have a church you go to church likely if you don't you know you still know what a church is so you may go to church and in that church there are two kinds of people the sheep or the congregates and there's the pastor who's the gate like the gatekeeper in the story but the central function of the church is what both the pastor and the congregates are followers of Jesus right and so that's just pretty cool, right? Jesus actually commanded disciples, his disciples, to be followers of him. And here in the story, Jesus is talking about how the sheep know him, follow his voice. So a church is set up like this. There's a, there's a hired hand. There's someone who represents and kind of works for Jesus, tries to help kind of stand in the place of Jesus in a way, a pastor, a hired hand, a gatekeeper. And then there's the sheep, the congregates. There's this enclosure, which just denotes a specific flock, right? And, I, you know, I've heard pastors refer to their congregates as their flock, right? And the word pastor comes from the word pasture or pastoral just means like a, a old. It's an old school word that just meant to, to um, tend to livestock. So... Even the word pastor comes from the word, or and pastorine comes from the word pasture, or the idea of tending livestock, taking care of animals. So, but the focus in every congregation and every church is, or and, and the structure is, there are the congregates or the sheep, and there is the gatekeeper who is the pastor. But recognize the point in this parable that Jesus lays out when it comes to our churches. The sheep are to know the voice of the shepherd and the hired hand and the gatekeeper is to be guarding the sheep in, um, for the shepherd. But it's the shepherd, the sheep actually know the shepherd and the hired 
hand knows the shepherd and is helping the sheep on behalf of the shepherd. But the, the hired hand isn't the shepherd. Right? So really, the hired hand and the gatekeeper isn't a pastor. Technically, Jesus is the pastor, really. And a pastor, what we call a pastor, is just a hired hand. But like, it's interesting because in this metaphor, when Jesus says, when I come, like, when I show up, the sheep follow me. And what does the gatekeeper do? The pastor. He opens to the shepherd and lets, and Jesus, it's pretty cool because Jesus says he leads the sheep out. Like, we're not meant to live in the pen, in the sheep pen. We're not meant to, that's just a, that's like a protective place at night when there's danger, right? So the sheep most don't spend most of the time in the sheep pen. The shepherd leads them out to find other places, other pastures, and that's okay. And the function of the gatekeeper is to let the sheep be led in and out by the shepherd. And we could think of a pastor in a church setting as someone who is trying to help lead people to know the shepherd. And so the gatekeeper isn't trying to keep the sheep in the pen all the time. The the gatekeeper opens to the shepherd and the shepherd leads the sheep out. The sheep, the home of the sheep isn't actually the the, the sheep pen. It's, um, it's the pastures, like roaming through the pastures. And that's like, that was in that time, that was good because, um, if you don't know something about sheep, they will eat, if they stay in one place, they'll eat the grass to the roots and kill it. And so you really can't keep sheep in one small place and have them survive. They have to be led around and eat and graze and roam. Um, that's the cool thing about goats is they won't do that. They won't kill the grass. Goats are great um, for keeping lawns short. They won't kill it, but they'll keep it short. You know, but not sheep. So you have to lead sheep around. You can't keep them. If you keep sheep in one place, they'll die. Isn't that, isn't that cool too, right? There's, it, that's like stagnation. The sheep have to be led around to good pastures. Keep them in one place in one small pen, they'll die. They need to be led in and out the pen is good, but it's good for a certain purpose. It's not where the sheep live. And so that's a pretty cool metaphor, huh? Um, now Jesus continues on because in the, in the story, in the parable, um, he, well, he tells in this passage, rather, he tells the parable and it says, this is verse starting with verse 6 in John chapter 10. It says, Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about, so he tried again. So they didn't get it. He told them the story, and they're like, "Okay, um, that's nice, but what, what, what does that got to do with anything, Jesus? You trying to teach us how to be she- how to be shepherds or gatekeepers or something? Are you going to start tending sheep soon?" And they just didn't get it. So Jesus said, "He tried again," and this is what he said. This is verse six. I'll be explicit. Then I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. 
A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd puts the sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired man, this is the same as the gatekeeper in the first story, a hired man is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. He sees a wolf come and runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in it for the money. The sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own sheep know me in the same way the father knows me and I know the father. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know that I have other sheep in addition to the sheep in this pen. I need to gather and bring them too. They'll also recognize my voice. Then it will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I freely lay down my life, and so I am free to take it up again. That's interesting. He goes through again and says, I'm the gate. You have to come in, in and out through me. Like I, you know, Jesus is saying, I am the way to God. Um, you come through me. To, and he says at the very end of that, um, there it is. In the same way, the Father knows me and I know the Father. I am the good shepherd. I know, like, yeah, this is verse 14, John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own sheep know me in the same way the Father knows me and I know the Father. Like, the sheep know me, I know the Father, and so I connect the sheep to the Father. I am the way to know the Father. Knowing me, Jesus is saying, knowing me means you know the Father. But he really doesn't give a very good, uh, a very good description to the, the uh, gatekeeper. He calls them in this parable a hired man, a hired person. And it says the sheep mean nothing to him. That's, you know, <laughs> that doesn't sound very favorable to your pastor. Like, it's interesting, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I see today, and we know this is true, there's, there's just the, the celebrity pastor. That's what I talked about. I started with that story of this pastor who was acting like a celebrity, you know, he had the trophy wife. He had the, you know, the cameras and he had the nice suit. He was the televangelist type. Like celebrity pastorship or celebrity pastors is a growing phenomenon. And like we all, you know, I mean, I've, I've been to church my whole life. My dad was a pastor. We all admire the preachers, pastors, like it's it's becoming not so admirable, you know. There's been lots of scandals, and with with information being much more readily available um, through the internet, people, you know, we learn about things much more often than we used to. You know, we're not, it's not just our own little world and our own little cities anymore. So it's like we understand, you know, that and with the Catholic Church scandals and everything, like the ideal and the reverence for pastors has changed a lot over the last 20 30 years but generally people especially in their own congregation really respect and look up to their pastor it's a revered position it it has been 
forever, and it still is in many ways. But Jesus doesn't give a very reverenced opinion of a pastor. And, and I, you know, I don't think that he's really trying to downplay the importance of pastors and churches. But I think he's trying to help people understand the difference between the value of knowing him and the position of a pastor over a church. Like, he's not, he's not really devaluing pastors, but he's, he's saying, compared to the shepherd, the pastor really is not, it's not the same. The pastor isn't invested in the sheep in the same way. I mean, you know, I've met a lot of good, caring pastors that pastored a church their whole life and, and poured their life and their heart into people and did a good job, you know, really... Um, tending their flock, right? But Jesus is very explicit. Your pastor, the pastor of your church, the pastor of a church is not the shepherd. And they're really not invested in the sheep in the right way. I'm sorry. In the, in the most significant way. Like, our relationship, our most meaningful relationship is to be with the shepherd not the hired hand. And so Jesus isn't really saying that your pastor isn't important, but he's saying don't put too much importance in your pastor. And don't get caught up in your pastor. And don't look to your pastor like you're supposed to look to me. That's the point. It's a plane going by. Where, where this property is, it's close to the airport, so you'll probably hear some airplanes. Although sometimes that shows up in my recordings when I'm on the trails. But Jesus is saying... He's not saying your pastor doesn't matter. Don't look to, to a pastor. Don't have reverence for a pastor in a way. But he's saying, don't treat the pastor like they're the shepherd. The pastor is just a hired hand. And, you know, practically speaking, pastors come and go. Uh, everybody, I'm sure, has experienced a pastor leaving, going to a different church. Like, they are a hired hand literally, right? Almost every pastor is paid it's their job. They're a hired hand. You need to understand in the grand scheme of how our relationship with God works, a pastor is a hired hand. They're not really going to protect the sheep. They can't. Your pastor can't be with you all the time trying to help you in every situation. And, you know, pastors can be there to give advice, to help counsel, but like, you're get, you leave the pen, just like the sheep. Like, you don't live in the church. You don't live with your pastor beside you. Like, when you walk out into the world, when you live your life, the only person that can truly walk with you is Jesus, right? And so a good pastor, a good hired hand, really is someone who knows how to open the gate to the shepherd and who knows how to let the sheep be led by the shepherd. The job of a pastor is to help people know the shepherd and be led by the shepherd right that's the point so think of it this way though do our pastors leading people to know the shepherd or is the main relationship that people have with their pastor and their pastor knows the shepherd and they know the pastor and that's the paradigm and i think that is often the dominant paradigm in churches today and, and has been for a long time. I shouldn't say today, but like people have this mentality, like my pastor knows God 
and knows about God and knows, you know, they've been to Bible college. They spent their life studying the Bible and theology and commentaries. They know God. They know godly truth. I know my pastor, and that's how it works. My pastor knows God. I know my pastor. Well, that whole paradigm is a notch down from the paradigm that Jesus puts forth. So you've introduced, you've made the hired hand really like Jesus because Jesus said, the sheep know me, I know the Father, and through me they know the Father. So you get to God through Jesus, but most churches you get to Jesus through a pastor, and I guess through Jesus the pastor gets to God. But a, a congregate then is one level below a pastor. A pastor is actually acting like a sheep who knows Jesus and hopefully knows how to follow Jesus and through Jesus knows God. But the, most of the sheep in a congregation then don't know Jesus. They know their pastor who knows Jesus, who knows God. So you've created actually another kind of Christ follower in that paradigm. A Christ follower who doesn't really know how to follow Jesus, the good shepherd. They know how to follow their pastor and they're trusting that their pastor is following Jesus. But they don't really know they just know, they just know that their pastor knows, right? <laughs> that's not a very good paradigm, and that's not the paradigm Jesus puts forth, and he makes a point to emphasize this kind of model for congregations. Sheep need to know the shepherd. The hired hand is there to serve a purpose. The pastor, the preacher, the leader of a church is there to serve a purpose. That purpose isn't to be the shepherd of a flock. Their purpose is to help people know the shepherd of the flock, Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. So the model of church, of most churches, isn't this model of shepherd, hired hand, and sheep. It's the model of shepherd, of Jesus, a human shepherd, and sheep. And there's someone in between Jesus and the sheep in a lot of church models. Isn't that interesting? There's a, a, a go-between, an arbitrator, right? Well, you know, in the old, that's, that's how the Old Testament was. The people couldn't come to God directly. They had to go through a priest. And the New Testament specifically says, and I don't know, I wish I had this reference, but I don't know if Jesus says this or one of the apostles, but it says, we, I think it is Jesus, you are now a kingdom of priests. We are declared, we are all priests in, under the new covenant of the New Testament church. We're all called to be priests, which means there is no arbitrator between us and God anymore. Jesus is our direct connection to God. And Jesus said, if I leave, it's favorable because when I go, I'll send the Holy Spirit who will dwell in you, God in us, God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus, one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, God with us. The whole point that Jesus came to, the whole point of why Jesus came was to give us a direct connection to God. He said, I and the Father are one. And I'm, I'm praying that we would, you would be one as I and the Father are one. Jesus came to give us a direct connection to God. Jesus came to do away with a system that put people between us and God. 
But if you actually read the Old Testament, I'm a, I, I love the Old Testament. I probably love the Old Testament more than the New Testament because it's just it's so much deeper. And it's so fascinating when you read the Old Testament, you see everything Jesus says in the New Testament pretty much or so much. It's like it's all there. But anyway, um, if you even if you read in the Old Testament— you see that the Mosaic law, the sacrificial system, the system of priests and temple and these go-betweens, it was never God's intent. God made a concession with the Jews to give them the sacrificial system, but it wasn't what he wanted. It was what they wanted. And, you know, I mean, in God's grace, I don't think people were ready. I mean, uh, Scripture says in the fullness of time, Jesus came. Like when, when the time was right, when we were ready to have this direct connection to God, to get rid of this mediator system, the system of a mediator, um, then Jesus came. But Jesus came to give us a different way of knowing God, a way, a direct connection to God. There was not, there's not meant to be a go-between between you and God. You are meant to know God personally and you're pastor at your church should be teaching you to know God personally because that's the purpose of a hired hand. Your relationship shouldn't be with the hired hand. They're not truly going to protect you. They can't. Only a relationship with Jesus, only having a relationship with Jesus can protect you. Because why? Because the sheep don't live in the pen. The sheep roam. That's what sheep do. That's what they're meant to do. We're meant to walk a journey through life. We can't live in church, at church. Although some people might like to. But like if your deepest connection with God is in a church building, you don't know how to live life outside of a sheep pen. You're a sheep who doesn't know the shepherd. The shepherd, Jesus, always leads you in life everywhere you go. You know the shepherd's voice. You know, you know Jesus yourself. And a, a good hired hand, like a hired hand isn't a bad person because... They're not the shepherd. That's just who they're supposed to be. They're a hired hand. They're a gatekeeper. They're meant to open the gate to Jesus. And Jesus leads the sheep in and out, right? In and out, in and out. But mostly Jesus leads them out. Jesus, like how much time do you actually spend at church? You don't spend that much time at church. You know, even if the church is open 24-7, right? You've got a job. You've got a family. You've got responsibilities. You've got friends. You've got hobbies. That's good. Like, Jesus doesn't want us to live life in the church building with church people all the time. Like, we're to be the God flavors, the God colors in the world. We're supposed to be the essence of God in the world, spreading the life of God that that is in us to the world around us. Like, we're meant to live out in the world. We're meant to roam like sheep in, in pasture lands. We're meant to go all over the place. We're not meant to be cloistered and collected and, um, you know, held in and boxed in and captured in the sheep pen all our lives. We're meant to roam. We're meant to enjoy life and go places, right? Like, if you don't know how to really be a Christian outside of church, how to worship outside of church, how to live in God's truth outside of church, how to fellowship with God outside of church, if your whole relationship with God is served and facilitated through church and through a pastor, then you're not truly a sheep who knows the shepherd. That's not how it's meant to work. I was, uh, I was listening to a, a podcast. I've started listening to a guy named Jonathan Pagu. Am I going to get this? Pagu? Pagu? Ah, Pagu, I think. Jonathan Pagu. He's got a, a, what, uh, a ministry called the symbolic world, but he's more Eastern or Eastern, 
Eastern Orthodox. And there's this concept in Eastern Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox Church called theosis. This is what contemplation calls mystical union, but theosis is the idea that we are meant to be growing into an intimate connection with God, into a deep relationship with God. That's theosis. And it was so fascinating to hear uh, him talk about theosis. It's just a really cool new word that really defines the goal of Christianity and actually the goal of all human life. We are meant to be growing in intimacy with God. Theosis. So, your church, your pastor, the people who are elders over you are meant to be helping you know Jesus for yourself. And like, the model in churches often is a model of totalitarianism. I, was, I thought this was really interesting. So there's two kind of concepts I want to jump into and, and I feel like I didn't develop this fast enough in a way, but so there's totalitarianism and there's complementarianism. I want to I want to do some isms this morning. I'm actually going to look up the definition of totalitarianism for you, and then I want to end back on a different verse in Ephesians chapter four. So here's I'm going to read this from the the definition. Totalitarianism is a concept for a form of government or political system that prohibits oppositional parties, restricts individual opposition to the state and its claims, and exercises an extremely high degree of control over public and private life. There is a form of government. You know, churches have governments. Churches have forms of organization and authority structures. Most churches are totalitarian. This last phrase... Because this totalitarianism is when someone exercises an extreme high, extremely high degree of control over public and private life. Is your church a church where there is an extreme, extremely high degree of control over the congregation by one person, the pastor, or maybe a group of people, the elders? Like they know God, the pastor knows God, and you don't know God. They do, and there's this, like, and they tell you what is what, and they tell you what to do. And the different churches probably have different degrees of this. But basically, most churches are totalitarian in nature. But God intends us to be complementarian. So there, like, there is this thing in, in evangelical Christianity called gender complementarianism, which means that men and women have different but equal roles in the church. And like that, that what, what this teaches, what, what evangelicals teach is that women aren't supposed to be pastors, they're not supposed to be teachers and leaders, and women are supposed to be you know, submissive and quiet at home to their husbands and raise kids. And like, I don't agree, I don't believe in that, but there is something, uh, I just kind of had this epiphany. We, we're meant to practice spiritual complementarianism, which means that all of us in a church are meant, to be equals with different roles. And this is exactly what Scripture says. And I guess I'll jump, to, I'll jump there. Now this is Ephesians chapter 4. This is really cool. So my point is the way we structure a church is more totalitarian with one person in charge or a few people in charge. And most people have no power. Like the power is invested in a few people and most people have none. Like, they don't have the power to lead, to disciple, to teach. And I've experienced this over and over in churches. Like, I have a desire to teach, uh, as you can tell, but I've never been given that. I've rarely been given the opportunity. There was one church, and it was an eldership church. 
it was led by elders, not pastors. Now, it wasn't one person, but it was a group of elders. There was, there was no hired hand. Literally, the two elders that, that preached had jobs. And it was a more, it was more congregationally led church. But um, most churches are totalitarian, not complementarian. Most churches have a power structure where few have power and most don't. But a complementarian structure would be that the power is really in everybody. It's just everybody has different roles. And this is exactly what Scripture says. This is the model that Scripture has for, for the church. And this is what Ephesians chapter 4 says. Starting in verse 11, this is what it, what it says. So Christ himself, the shepherd, gave... I, I inserted the shepherd there. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So that one thing right there, God has given Christ himself has appointed hired hands, people to be over the church, right? Just like over the, the, you know, just like over the sheep. The shepherd has appointed hired hands over the sheep. Playing with that as a metaphor. So Christ gave, has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the sheep, his people, for works of service so that everybody in the body of Christ be built up. And then uh, Paul plays with this metaphor again. I'm not sure if it's in Ephesians, but like we are all parts of one body, but Christ is the head. There's only one person who, who really is more like a totalitarian figure, and that's Jesus, who really has all the power, but Jesus invests his power in us. So it's a very different pa- paradigm where it's not someone controlling everybody and they don't give their power, but Jesus gives his power to us. The Holy Spirit literally is the power of God given to us. Like Jesus is a totalitarian figure, but he's one who gives power away, doesn't draw power to himself. But he creates the church like a body where power is shared equally and nobody is above anybody really. There's no hierarchy of control and power. We're all meant to be serve to serve a role. And it says, you know, there's all these, he makes these certain distinctions: prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and there in other passages and other scriptures and other books. There's different other different roles defined. Um, but he says the purpose of of any role in a church is to equip the sheep, his people, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and the end result is that we all may attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We are all meant to become more and more like Christ. We are meant to be growing each of us in our role and our purpose to become, and the ultimate goal is to become more like Christ. That's theosis. We're meant to become so in union with Christ that we become so like Christ. The fullness of Christ then dwells in us. And if we all have the fullness of Christ... Nobody really is better or worse, right? But here's the cool thing, too. Now, this is starting back to verse 14. This is continuing on with this passage. It says, So when all this happens, when there are prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers equipping people, and people are being built up in the body of Christ and reaching unity and becoming and attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then this is the end result. Then, in verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. 
Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part. We all are a part of the body. The body is equal in importance. Every part is important. Christ is the head. There's only one head and one body. But like, this is pretty cool. So he's mentioning the thieves again. And Ephesians is a reference to this idea of the parable of the shepherd sheep. It says in 14, when, we're, when we attain the fullness of Christ, we'll no longer be infants. We'll, we'll, we won't be immature. We'll be mature. We won't be blown back and forth, tossed by like waves, by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. There are some people who will try to take advantage of us who will oppose as hired hands, say they know Christ, try to lead us in a direction that, and they'll actually be leading us away from Christ. They'll be trying to use us for their own good, for their own purposes. Can you imagine that? That there might be pastors out there just out to make money and for themselves or make a name for themselves, draw people to themselves for their own purposes and power and control. You know what? The true definition of a bad pastor is someone who wants to keep people immature and under their toe, underfoot, so that you know they can control them. Like that's a that's a bad pastor, right? Someone who doesn't lead people to maturity. You know, like the the paradigm of mentoring is that you're always you're always teaching people to not need you. Like in a business sense, in a spiritual sense, in any sense. My true goal is to help bring people on a journey to a place where they no longer need me, even, when they, even where they may surpass me. A good pastor leads people to the true shepherd, and the pastor knows how to do what? The hired hand, a true preacher, leader knows how to open to the shepherd. If someone needs to leave the pen and follow the shepherd and it's away from that hired hand, no big deal. Pastors aren't trying to keep people locked in the pen in the, their congregation. There isn't this rigid, my sheep, this, these sheep belong to me, and I don't want them going over to that First Presbyterian church over there or Catholic. Like, my sheep are mine, and I want to keep them in, my, in the pen, and I want to keep them for myself. No, the, the true hired hand opens to the shepherd and lets the sheep come in and out and be led by the shepherd, the true shepherd, Jesus a true hired hand wants the sheep to learn how to follow Jesus and doesn't worry about them leaving, coming and going, doesn't have to be worried about them staying with them, but can let them come and go. It's not a big deal because the hired hand isn't the shepherd. The hired hand doesn't control the sheep and try to protect the sheep through control, but lets the sheep go because the sheep are meant to follow the shepherd. Like, the only totalitarian figure in a church should be Jesus. Not your pastor. Pastors, you know, um, I'm checking my time. Yeah, I'm getting close on time. Like, the, you know, the, the first church didn't have a single pastor. And I don't know if you know church history, but the first church had the 12 apostles. The first, the model for the first century church was often a group of people leading. 
and, and you know there was there was a hierarchy a, a hierarchy of maturity i think it's okay to have a hierarchy of maturity scripture actually advocates not putting immature people in higher places of prominence in the church but like there was Apostles were like your pastor. Then there was deacons and elders, or elders and deacons. There was all these different roles, but there was a le- some levels of maturity, and it's okay to recognize that there are more mature people and less mature people. I think the only real hierarchy, or the only levels we may recognize in churches is ones of maturity, and it's good for less mature people to be discipled and led by more mature people. But guess what? That's relative to every person. And so really, in a sense, in a church where we all have a part to play and where we all can be teachers and leaders in some degree or another, if the only true distinction is maturity, then actually for every single person, there should be people who are more mature than them and people who are less mature. So they should, also, they should actually be people who are being discipled and discipling. And there is this flow in the body of Christ where there is only one head who is Christ and one shepherd who is Christ and one leader who is Christ. And everybody else is actually equals in the sense of shared power, in the sense of nobody's more important, nobody's the head. But what happens is we all get to have a place and we all are growing and we all have people above us and below us in maturity. And so we all have people that we're looking to to teach us how to become more like Christ. But we all have people also who are looking to us to teach them how to become more like Christ. And so we all have a part to play. And nobody sits, nobody's sidelined, nobody's sitting in the pew doing nothing watching everybody else lead and grow watching or watching one person who's the mature person who knows God and is growing in God but they're not does that make sense like often the way we've envisioned and imagined church is completely wrong are we truly learning to know Jesus and I talked about that concept of theosis theosis is a kind of knowing that is personal that is about God being present to us in a deeply mystical and intimate way. And so, and like, I, start, you know, part of that parable, I started talking about how when the shepherd, you know, when I first described this idea of, of ancient shepherding, like it was important that the sheep know the shepherd's voice, know the shepherd personally as they roam around the pasture lands. Like, because that, that was the only true form of protection. The sheep need to, needed to have this relationship with the shepherd that was so intimate that they would follow the shepherd, they would know the shepherd, the smell of the shepherd, the voice of the shepherd, the sight of the shepherd, the, the touch of the shepherd. Like there was this deeply intimate relationship between the sheep and the shepherd that protected the sheep and kept them following the shepherd. Because the sheep weren't hemmed in. Like the, the desire to protect people by keeping them locked up tight in a specific set of beliefs or a specific church congregation under a specific pastor or a specific denomination. Like, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how much I've grown by being able to flow in and out of different church congregations, different denominations, different theologies, different traditions. Like, that's so healthy. But most of the church's paradigm is you got to stay in your small little congregation and your group and your denomination because that's what you can trust because you don't know how to know truth for yourself. You only know how to know that the truth you've been given is the right truth and you've been and to, you only know how to do what you're told. You don't know the voice of you don't have an intimate relationship with God. You just know that your pastor does and that's good enough for you. Like that's often the paradigm. That's a totalitarian that's a that's human totalitarianism in the church. 
not complementarianism. Complementarianism is the person in the pulpit may be one of the more mature people in the church, but there are many people that could go up there. And it's not just about a Sunday morning sermon. It's about life with people and you walking with more mature people to become more mature and less mature people walking with you to become more mature. And we're all doing our part. And as we all do our part, as Ephesians says, then the whole body will be joined together and will grow up together into the head, which is Christ, and reach full the fullness of Christ and become mature. And each one of us will be able to discern what is truly the truth of God, what is truly from God and what isn't. And we won't be tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching and by every wave and the cunning and craftiness of people, people and their deceitful scheming. Like, it's no great protection to be told what to believe. Because you may be told this is to believe this today because this is the, the person you think is godly. But tomorrow it's a different person and it's a different teaching and you're just tossed back and forth because you don't know how to discern truth for yourself. The main mechanism that God has given us to discern truth is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. We have the Holy Spirit in us but as the Spirit of truth, but are we connected to the Spirit of truth in a way where the Spirit of truth can guide us into all truth, which is what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit was sent to guide us into all truth. Like, complementarianism is a model for church which has us all doing our part, growing to become more and more and more mature as we look to those more mature than us and as we help others less mature become like us and we become like others and we're all moving up and up and up and we're all really capable of teaching people to know the shepherd. We're all capable of being a hired hand. We all have a role. Maybe it's, maybe it's being a po- an apostle, an evangelist, a prophet, a teacher, a preacher. But we all have a role and we all have a maturity and we all have wisdom and that's a complementarianism. That's spiritual complementarianism. We all have a role and it's different. And as we all fill and fulfill our different roles like parts in a body, the whole body is healthy and the whole body is alive and the whole body is growing. Isn't that cool? But my point is often the model in churches is not that model. It's a model of totalitarianism where there is one person or a few people in charge, in control, and who have all the power and everybody else is really powerless. And those few people may actually be, may or may not actually be growing in maturity towards God, but nobody else really is. Everybody else just looks to those people and that's their connection to God. That's a mediator. God never wanted a medi- a mediated system. God never wanted a go-between between him and us. God always wanted a direct relationship because that's the way it was before the fall. That's the way it was in the garden. God walked with Adam and Eve. There was intimate relationship. That was the point at the beginning. That's what we lost. That's what God wants us to come back to. That's why Jesus came to help teach us how to to become one with God. How to get back to that state. Jesus came to teach us theosis. My question is like, churches are good. Hired hands are good. Sheep pens are good. They serve a purpose. 
My question for you and your question to ask yourself is, is your church, is your pastor, are your leaders, are they teaching you to know Jesus? Are they opening the gate to the shepherd? Are they keeping you locked up in the pen? Or are they letting you go freely? Are they afraid that, are they, are they teaching you to be afraid of other traditions and other denominations and other churches and other congregations? If you went up to your pastor and said, hey, this Sunday I'm going to attend the Presbyterian church down the street because I'm curious what they have to say about God. If you said that to your pastor, what would he say? Would he say, oh, that's really great. You know what? They have some good teaching. Or would he say, no, don't go there. That's dangerous. Don't listen to that pastor at that church in this town. Don't go over there. What they're, you know, if your pastor hasn't taught you to know truth for yourself, then they're going to be fearful. And they're not, they don't want you to go anywhere because they haven't trained you, right? A pastor who is a pastor or a, a, an elder, a mature person who's teaching other people to know God for themselves, isn't afraid when those people go and listen to other people who know God. They should say, if, if in that paradigm, if you went up to your pastor and said, I'm going to go t- attend a different church this Sunday, your pastor, a healthy pastor should say, that's really cool, man. They have some good truth. Like, I've learned a lot from that particular tradition. That's great. That's what they should say. Because their goal isn't to keep you locked up in a sheep pen and their sheep pen and control you. Their goal is that you would be growing in Christ. And if you're saying, hey, I, I think that I could grow in Christ over there, they should say, that's great. I don't, I don't, it's not about me and you being under, under me and being in my sheep pen. It's about you following the shepherd and maybe the shepherd is leading you over there and the shepherd's not just here and that's the the thing that jesus says jesus says at the end of this parable i have other sheep and other flocks but my but my goal is to make them all one like it's okay that there are different sheep pens different congregations different denominations different traditions it's okay but understand that they're all one we're all one flock we're all one flock like and here's the, 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 the crazy thing. Like, does your church have it all figured out? Does your pastor have the truth of God and nobody else? Like, is your pastor completely exhausted all God truth and knows all God truth and nobody else does? And like, no, of course not. Like, there, are, there is richness, there is wisdom, there are treasures in every denomination and tradition. Like, and there is also unhealth and some probably not so good truth in every denomination, including your own, right? Your church doesn't have it all figured out and have it all right, and nobody and other churches don't. Or your church isn't the least flawed, and others are the most flawed. We're all flawed. We all have truth, and we all have some things that aren't so healthy. And don't think that your church has it all figured out, <laughs> right? <clears throat> but how will you know if you don't participate in the wider flock of the church, which is universal, which spans all time and space. I, nothing has grown me more in, in human terms than participating and partaking of as many different traditions and doctrines and theologies in churches as I can. No good spiritual mentor or leader or mature Christian person should be afraid of the people they're mentoring listening to other people. The model for church should be spiritual complementarianism, not human totalitarianism. There's only one head of the church. There's only one good shepherd. And there's, and there's only one flock, and we're all 
truly equals, the only dis- the distinction we should make is in maturity. Hey, I got to wrap this up. <sighs> um, man, I just, I hope that that speaks to you. I hope that just challenges you to think about your relationship with God, your relationship with your church. I'm certainly not church bashing or saying your church is bad. I'm just saying consider what your church is. I think it's very important to be engaged on a local level with a group of people, to have accountability. It's, we need spiritual mentors. And so it's good to stay in one place for a time, for maybe for a long time. It's good to walk with a group of people. But don't be confined by that. We're meant to walk with people through life in life. We're not meant to be held tight in a sheep pen, closed in, protected all the time, but dying because like like that metaphor of the sheep if you close sheep in a small area they'll eat all the grass kill it and then they'll die because they have nothing left that's nutritious that's that's feeding them right i I have this um i have this phrase uh isolation leads to error but congregation leads to laziness like if we're trying to go it alone and not walk with people then we can get stuck in our own thinking and our own ideas because we're not being informed by a wider influence of more people and more truth. But if we're in a group of people, sometimes we can get lazy and just let someone else do the work for us and tell us what to believe and what to think about God. And usually that's the pastor. Like either extreme isn't good. We need to walk with people, but we also need to be developing our own personal relationship with God and being led by God ourselves. Both are good. It's good to be in a church. It's good to walk with a group of people for a long time. It's good to have spiritual mentors. It's good to be accountable to people, to have people that know you and and check up on you and ask how you're doing, how you're growing with God. But it's also good to partake in the widest sense of God truth, not to be afraid, not to be too not to be totalitarian and stuck under someone else's control and told what to think and told what to believe and not led to your own relationship with God. And that's the point. Theosis is the goal. I believe that. Hey guys, thanks for listening. This has been the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori. Um, you guys can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com but I'm doing more stuff now. So if you Google J. Randall Ori, you'll also get my YouTube channel. I do short what I call homilies, just messages of encouragement. So you can check out some videos. I'm starting to do that. That's not yet on my website because I haven't revamped it. And I'm also getting ready to release two books. Those are coming up in a few months. So all those things are going on. So that's exciting. So just keep, you know, if you want to really keep up with everything I'm doing right now, Google J. Randall Ori or go to my website, www.moderncontemplative.com. Hey, I appreciate you guys paying attention and listening and just walking with me as I walk with you. Love you guys. Bye.